0: And welcome to another edition of the In Context podcast. Today, I'm with a, a good friend and brother of mine, Paul King. Uh, how are you doing, Paul? Doing good. Thank good. you. Yeah, we've got Paul. Paul sat in his uh, people carrier. He's uh, <laughs> that's his office. His mobile office. Uh, just explain a little bit about yourself, Paul. What you're doing and uh, what you've been up to this morning. Yeah, I'm, um,
1: I'm. I'm. The easiest way to say it is, I'm essentially a missionary in england and um you know if if you imagine someone moved to afghanistan and went to reach people where there was no kind of visible witness for jesus and church i'm doing a similar thing here just going into places where god isn't known um and and just living to make him known and uh yeah this morning i've just been in the hairdressers in like one of the local places where we've been spending some time where there's been a lot of a lot of violence, really. A lot of lawlessness, which is what happens when God isn't in a place. Lawlessness increases, and um, just been catching up with some of the local kind of business people there and getting to know them and spending a bit of time with them. Really, yeah. That's that's it.
0: Oh, cool. So you you weren't raised in the church. Uh, your, your family weren't Christians. Uh, you, you came to faith in in prison, uh, and and when you've shared with me in the past, you mentioned that. Uh, you, you were used to fellowshipping with other prisoners. Uh, you'd used to meet in the, the prison chapel. Uh, there was a good friend of ours called Graham Seed who mentored you and would come in and pray with you. And But he was, he was a pastor, but he was an ex-con and one of the boys like us. So uh, every Christian you'd encountered, or predominantly most of the Christians you encountered in church will have been probably like working class. You were used to a prison environment. And then you get out, you you're released as a Christian. What was it like uh, coming to church for the first time? Do
1: you know? Do you know? If I'm honest, if I'm honest, I'm just I remember reading my Bible. Obviously, that's what I saw of church in my Bible. What I read and um like like the fellowship, the love, the connection. You this you, this is the picture you see when you read the Bible, isn't it? You see this picture of a uh, like where it says, you know, there's there's slaves and Jews and Greeks, all these people in one place. Yeah, I just, I imagined, I, I don't know if it's like illusions of grandeur, but I imagined it'd be like some celebration that, hey, he's finally here. You know, this guy we've all been praying for and we know about. And yeah, it was like, it felt really scary when I went and weird. And um, weird is probably the best way to describe it, to be honest. Um, it was a really big church, five, 600 people. Um, and I remember like Graham was busy that day. Obviously he's part of that church. He was moseying about with his family. Um, there was a couple of people that had come in the prison I seen and, and, but really no one apart from that even said hello or acknowledged me, which, you know, can be a symptom of church. It can be lonely places. That's That's the truth. Big churches, definitely. And um, there was one guy, Edward. Um, Edward did the doors, an older guy. And I always remember him. He came to my wedding, like, because of this reason. He, he was the one of the people, he was the only person who actually st- kind of stepped across and started, took some time to talk to me and everything. So I really found it, um, yeah, it was a shock. It was a shock, not in a good way. Um, I think it was a shock because it just seemed kind of really impersonal and very, I don't know, like, yeah, uninclusive, if that's the right word. And, uh, yeah, that I, I, I want to say something different, but if I'm honest, that was my honest take from that first visit. It just felt a little bit different than what I expected. Um yeah, that was my initial experience. How did you respond to that? And
0: obviously, you'll have been looking out uh, as you, as time was coming to you, get released. You'll have been looking forward to your your freedom, but also your only your freedom, but finding this new family that the Bible promises. Uh, so you'll have had these expectations of a of a loving, caring, personal church, and you get there, and you said it was lonely. It was. In person, it was a disappointing shock. Uh, how did that affect your walk going forward? What uh, What did you feel like then after leaving that church on the first Sunday and going back to your flat? Because you lived on your own, didn't you?
1: Yeah, living in a flat. My, my internet might be breaking up here. Can you hear me properly?
0: Yeah, I can hear you fine, bro. All
1: right, great. My internet keeps breaking up, I think. But uh, how did I feel when I went back to my flat? Was the question. Yeah. Um, do you know what? It's hard to describe. I just, I just, I just think it was. Um, what, what I know is, I was at Graham's every night, mm. and like that relationship with Graham was kind of enough.
0: Yeah,
1: that closeness, that fellowship, it was like, it, it, that was kind of my church, if that makes sense. And I think going there on a Sunday at the time. It was like, oh yeah, this is great, but it, but it it wasn't somewhere where I went and I thought, oh yeah, I can't wait to be back. Mm. It wasn't that reality for me. It was more like, yeah, well, that was an experience. Do you know what I mean? And um, and I think going back to my flat, it was like, yeah, it wasn't something I it wasn't something I really thought loads about. I think I, I think over the next few months, probably because it's more. Re- realistic thinking over the next couple of weeks as I went. I think there was a definite kind of it was a very you know, there's a lot of doctors and educated people. I mean, I was desperate to get married. This is probably the best, most significant point for me. (laughs) I'd done two years in jail. I was literally used to sleeping with girls and everything. And I knew that being a Christian, I need to get married. So I'd kind of give God this shopping list. I wanted what I wanted my like wife to look like. So I was like on the look, you know. (laughs) <laughs> in the church and I, I remember at one point saying all the women here that were either old and married or like kids and that's what it was they were all at uni they were at, you know good schools um, and there was a definite difference in, in kind of you know you you'd kind of be paired off with people who were from a rougher area or a rougher place or um, and I think we kind of even though there was a lot of people there because there was like Grammy leadership who, who purposely went out to reach and engage people. I think the church body as a whole, um, it was like you were just that, you know, like you were like the black sheep of the family. It was like that. Do you know what I'm saying? You were in the meeting and you were part of it, but you were kind of, yeah, you were just treated a little bit like, you know, they expected you to be rough and swearing and stuff. And yeah, I don't know you always felt a little bit different. That's probably the best way to say it. And that's probably my takeaway more than just that first day. Cause I think after that first day, I was just overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed with being out and I was overwhelmed with, you know, like this brand new experience. So it wasn't like, I just think I was overwhelmed with a lot of stuff. I'd just done a couple of years. So do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not fair to just think that first day, cause I think it was just another brand new experience for me. But over the months later, there was a definite kind of um Do you remember Dave Benj? Did you ever meet Dave Benj? Yeah, yeah, the guitar player. So Dave, yeah, Dave Benj used to come in the in the prison group and do the piano. He was awesome. Like he was a really lovely guy. And um, and so I went with him one day and he was on worship practice. And as I was watching them all, I realized how different we were. The way they were talking, communicating. They were just so posh, like compared to me. And I remember sitting there thinking, I don't belong here. Like, I, that was the first time. Like I said, i have been out about eight weeks then. Mm. And I remember that was the moment I sat there and I thought, <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't belong here. I think when we went to play football on a night, there was like a fireman there and his son. And mm. we just constantly felt like it was, I don't know. I think they looked at me like I had, I think the weird thing was, sometimes I felt like some of them were looking at me like, like, Oh, he's going to be thinking he's hard and all that. And I wasn't like that at all. I'd been with God two years in prison. It was like, you know, I wasn't like a new Christian. I'd been, but I, I sometimes felt like it was like they were trying to be tough. I don't know. I, I just somehow felt that. I can't put my finger on it, but it was like sometimes, yeah, I think kind of people, I just felt different. That's the right way of saying it. I didn't feel like, and I don't think I ever felt like I truly would have been accepted in, in those uh, circles and friendship groups. And even though I'd go to different things, you were always like the crazy one. You know what I mean? It wasn't like it wasn't like you were there. Do you know what I mean? No one was listening to your wisdom or it was just like, yeah, you're just crazy. So I think it was like, yeah, it's a bit like that. So that's probably a, a, the bigger picture of it all. Um mm-hmm. Is yeah, I just don't. I didn't feel like I belong there, truthfully, honestly, in my heart. Yeah.
0: So what what happened then next? Because you said you give God a a shopping list for a wife, and there was not a super wives in the church. So where did you go to find somebody who would be a perfect match?
1: Yeah, well, well, basically, I was um, I was in that church one night because every Sunday night they used to work with the prostitutes and all that and bring them all in. Mm-hmm. So you'd have all the drug addicts, the prostitutes that, that preach the gospel, free hot dogs and burgers and all that. And um, as I was sat there one night, this girl walked in, long, dark hair. And as soon as I saw her, I thought, that's, uh, that's exactly the girl I've been telling God about. Like, <laughs> And um, I think straight away, I thought, yeah. So, and then I started looking at, she had a boyfriend, so I started praying for them to split up. And <laughs> I, was, uh, I was like, yeah, you know. So. And then it was a funny story because we were telling this couple of around us from food the other night that I was out one night on the front and she was smoking at the time. And I sort of like needing a light and I thought, I'll be a gentleman, give her a light. And I think she literally thought I was one of the heroin addicts. <laughs> I was just like, oh, no. So, yeah, she'd, she'd basically, her friend had just died, got murdered, got killed by a tram in Manchester. Mm. And she'd she'd been brought up. Her mum was what we got her dad didn't. And she she was left with a question, "Where's my friend just gone?" She's like laughing and joking now. she's not here, So she did an alpha course, and it was on the alpha course. She went to our church, which is how I bumped into her then so I think she started changing on the alpha course she she wanted to follow God I think I don't know how committed she was, but there was a commitment there, and I think she had been saying at the time, you know the person if God wants me to be with anyone, I don't she was only nineteen, she wasn't even thinking about marriage or anything like that. But I think she just, she'd said, whoever, you know, God wants me to be with, they have to have a bit of rough about them, really. They have to have a bit of, do you know what I mean? They have to have a bit of personality, really. I think that's what she was saying. And then and then she saw me give my testimony when I got baptised. And I think then she was like, you know, I think she saw me then for the first time. So, yeah, within within a month, we got, you know, we got, had our first date. I think I proposed to her three months later. We were married. Um, by the November, the year later, um, and then we had our first daughter 12 months after that. And, yeah, now we've got five kids, and we've been married 20 years next November. Mm. It's awesome. So it's good. How many kids have you got for Five. Five, uh, nice. Yeah. I call her my bit of posh. <laughs> <laughs> she grew up in a nice house and that, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. So you, you you found a wife, you were struggling in church, you found a wife who understood you and got you and you felt that you belonged with her, obviously, you're married, put yeah. years on, but obviously you're a new Christian, lots of struggles, lots of struggles that most people who would grow up in a Christian family and environment wouldn't have understood or known. So what was it like when you were looking for discipleship? You said you had Graham. Yeah. So he obviously he understood a few things, but... How did you find it, sharing with other members of the church and other leaders when when you found struggles? Do
1: you know what? Um, It was often one way. Hmm. That's the thing that always struck me. It was always one way. So it was always, I'm telling someone else about my problems and no one's really telling me about theirs. Hmm. So it was like, then then it wasn't just that. The thing with Graham was... um, the thing with grandma was he was the first male I probably ever trusted properly mm. after everything I'd been through. Um, and, like, I really trusted him. It wasn't just, like, a little trust. I trusted him with everything, like, every secret, every fear, every worry, every... I was such a broken human being when I first... I encountered Jesus first. There's no mistake about that, but... And, you know, but... um. Graham's testimony was what made me realise that God could be for people like me. Because before that, I didn't realise God could be for people like me. Um, And then Graham's friendship and brotherhood, you know what? It was on a different level, really, in terms of the trust and everything. So when I encountered other people when I got out, some of them you know, you know, people like that, they were very cold. Like, they weren't warm. They weren't loving and yeah they they were just cold it was like weird and um and so I think when I was sharing with people like that it was often very like it was just one way which I didn't like because it wasn't friendship it wasn't kind of equality it was always like you know you tell me your stuff I won't tell you mine so I didn't really want to expose the truth of who I was Mm. fully you know and that led me into situations where I ended up drinking too much calling chat lines and stuff because it was like it was hidden in me because compared to them as well I felt like a dirty dirty person do you know what I mean it was like yeah I felt I felt horrible like and um so that that was a struggle really exposing the reality of who I was um, and I think part of that again is what is like obviously when I got around the church environment and this is no whatever but when I, when I went to the church, one of the things that happened is my brain began to form around that, what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And so what I started seeing was obviously all these cool people on the stage speaking and preaching certain ways. And um, they, to me, which like I'm an ex-gang member, they were like the ones who had the power, had power, you know. They were like, power for this and power for that. And and I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I need then. I need to get up to that level because like, I'm just here. So... I started running after other stuff then as well. And, and I think, you know, it was like then talking to Graham often and, and, and I'd be saying things to him. And then when he's giving me answers, I already knew the answers. And it was like, now I need better answers. What I did, what I needed wasn't better answers. What I needed was someone tell me, stop doing what you're doing, you idiot. Read, you know, read Ephesians or Colossians or 1 Peter and just start obeying what it says. But no one was doing that. No one, told me that no one said that and yeah so I just floundered a lot to be honest and it was kind of I'd you know I looked good I looked like I had a lot of it going on but I often describe myself as um like I often describe myself as being like um what's the best way for people who are going to listen to this to understand what I'm saying like um so like Murray McShane one minute all right but then but then like Barabbas the next I was like this constant wave of just down in the pits and then you know pointing out how unholy everyone was do you know what I'm saying it was like it was this constant like flux of stuff so I just don't think it worked for me brother is the honest truth I don't I don't think it when we lost our baby we lost two babies and whatever fellowship discipleship we had then literally disappeared there was no one to support us through that Mm. there's there's some of the things that i'd see about discipleship fellowship that are actually the most important bits which is to help through the hard real stuff the stuff that really matters like how do you how do you get over character issues how do you develop how do you get over anger and suffering and embrace suffering actually because it is about embracing it like that's where i found it was really sharp. and oftentimes i was left i was left with god which is awesome but trying to work it out myself what's the right response to this how should a christian react to this and then i had my flesh telling me i should react different ways it was a constant conflict and i didn't often understand how to use my word enough to defeat my flesh it was So I survived, mate. That's the right way of saying it. I was like you. Survived. That's it. Survived. You know? And, um, yeah.
0: Well, I know. And I remember we got saved around the same time, uh, baptised around the same time, married around the same time at the same church. And, yeah, we knew each other. I had a bit of hair then. God thought I looked good. And, (laughs) I think if we were honest, whenever a council estate lad came to chase, we seen them as a bit of competition because I think as soon as you're saved from a council estate, and especially the type of background we came from, we were soon elevated to sharing testimony. And, and there was a bit of a council estate collective going on where there was maybe four or five of us that would be like dragged out at an alpha night or an at a, at a outreach event or something like that. And, some of it was really good i loved being with lads like me uh but i found myself just knocking around with lads like me and just regurgitating my past life and not talking about my new life there was i I was like rolled out on stage to talk about the bad that i was involved in but i didn't ever feel that anyone was helping me like grow from that point it was like i was being stinted and kept in that point so share with you your experience of of being on that like testimony kind of bandwagon what what because we should we should give thanks to god we should praise god for the testimony of the grace and what he's done in our lives that is i'm not saying we shouldn't have testimonies but can you just share some of the uh, the negatives of 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 testimonies but also the blessings? what's your view on it um my, my
1: personal view right now is um I'm going to say the evangelical church because it's the one that I was in when I got out. I think in the evangelical church it's it's used to for the wrong way and um I think what it does is it elevates sin and it elevates story but I don't think it does the person any good. But I think he was used he was used by the church and and you know what the truth is he enjoyed being used. Um he got he enjoyed the infamy and the all the other stuff. But 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 it's because it, it's sowed into his weakness which was rejection. And because he was accepted everywhere and all that stuff, you give him this celebrity status. And then but then years later someone else comes along and, and he's dropped from everything. And then all of a sudden you're like you left you know you left you kind of left less than now, because I was still the big testimony guy then, you know what I mean? He was like, and he'd occasionally bring me on. And so God kind of protected me from a little bit of that. I, just, I still gave my testimony. I still did stuff. But um, it cost me every time. I'd, I'd give my testimony and go, to, go on frightened. My door was getting kicked in. Because I was still going through post-traumatic stress and stuff. So it was like a lot of... Um, I'd often go home and sin, actually. You know what I mean? Like um different ways. You know, lust, drink. Yeah, I'd often go home and sin, to be honest. Um I think I think years later, um, and I didn't give my testimony a lot, brother, but you know, um, I think God protected me from being elevated to a certain status because of being with Stellum and everything as well. It, it made, meant meant I was busy a bit a lot quicker. Um but what I've seen of it. Is it's the wrong thing? It, it, it elevates people too quickly. It gives them. It gives them. You know, we focus on what God saved us from rather than what God saved us into. We focus more on the mess than than the thanksgiving. You know, um, and 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 so I think my view of it now is, if I was run, running a church now, I wouldn't let anyone really. I wouldn't push anyone to doing that. You know, I, I I met a lad round here, um from, by all accounts, a pretty well known villain. You know, from what I've been told, in his younger days he was, you know, he's had it all brother, stabbed, nearly dead, all of that. And then and I walked with him, talked with him, spent time with him, um, baptized him, and then but I knew if that would have been in a normal church it'd have been all over Seaside speaking testimonies everywhere. These groups and and I don't think it'd do him any good. It'd be detrimental to him. Because yeah. what he does is it it, 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 it kind of does two things, I think, if I'm honest. One thing it, it allows people to not do anything in terms of reaching the lost yeah. because because they can sit there and watch this person's testimony and it looks like everyone's reaching the lost. And it makes them comfortable not doing anything. Like, oh, great. And they all join in this celebration of this salvation kind of thing. Um, The other thing then also is it exalts someone's abusive, often worthless life and elevates that above a godly life. Like the greatest testimony that's ever been is Jesus' testimony. It's the greatest testimony in the world, isn't it? I never lied. I never cheated. I never did anyone wrong. I never hurt anybody. I honoured my mother, father, all my life. I died for everyone else's. I mean, that's the best testimony in the world, isn't it? Mm. You know, and it's like, and that, that's my viewpoint on it is, is um, is a, a just, I think it has its worth. And I do use it. I use it in personal evangelism now all the time because mm. it unhooks and it unlocks doors definitely. But, But not to the point where it's like, I think I can only speak to prisoners. It's the fact that people are in prison, in all different types of prison. People are in all types of different situations. And so our testimony is essentially just the, it's the kind of, it's the first bit, it's the dagger, if you like, it's the dagger that, that kind of pulls someone's defenses down so that you can then pull Jesus' testimony out to follow through with it. That That's how I see my testimony now. It's just an introduction to Jesus. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, this is me, but this is Jesus. It's, it's a way to get them to Jesus. So hope that helps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And again, one of the things that I found was <clears throat> I'd often sit and look at others who's maybe had a more privileged upbringing than mine and the chair, the testimonies, and that I, I used to look. I thought it was a pride thing to start with. Why did their testimonies bother me? And was it because uh, I, I didn't think they were as good, but what I was doing was I was hearing like other people's testimonies and it was actually pain. I was feeling like like a jealousy. And, and I remember one night this girl, yeah. this girl who was a pastor's daughter, we'd asked her to share a testimony and she'd shared it. And then she said, Oh, I'm really sorry how boring it was. And I was weeping. I was like, no, I was like, the best testimony that your life is what I dream of for my children. And yeah. that was so encouraging for me. I, I i was fed up of hearing about drug addicts and prisoners and <laughs> do you know what I mean? people from my background. I, I had children that I wanted to see saved and I wanted to know that there was hope for everyone, not just people who were looked down on in society, but uh, the loved and the blessed. And I don't know, it just, yeah, I think it can, Give an arrogance to the person who, who comes from a, a background like ours, but it can also make people who have had a privileged upbringing, well, they can be proud as well and think that I don't need Jesus as much as that man. Or they can also yeah. thinking, well, my testimony is rubbish. And again, yeah. it's not about us or our life, it's about that testimony of Jesus, what you said, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I often think like the Holy Spirit, and I often think of the Holy Spirit as like a deflector. And, mm. um, you know, my, my name means small. Mm. Like, yeah, in the past, I live, try and be as big as possible, get all the attention, all that stuff. And then um, I think the Holy Spirit often deflects attention back to Jesus. Mm. He doesn't take, you know, the Holy Spirit, if you think about it, could, could literally say, hey, guys. I've literally brought every single Christian to Christ. Do you know what I mean? It could be like, you know what? You're saved, that's me. You know he could have his Facebook page and everything? He could have all of that. But it's like he just, he just, he just succeeds that and God gets the glory. And and it's like often that's how we're meant to live too. We're meant to just, it's just a reflection to point to Jesus. I remember once when I was going to give my test to him in his place and I didn't want to do it. I was like, I'm sick of this. Just going back to the questioner, I just just come back to my mind. I was like, yeah, I'm sick of this now. I think I wanted to preach. I want to preach more. Why not no one let me preach? You know, like that. And then I started, like, probably getting offended about my testimony then. Like, is that all I'm worth? Is that all I'm worth? So it's funny, this memory just come to my mind because it was it was real. But I just remember God saying to me then, you know, where did I find you? Mm. It was like, I was in prison. Yeah. And what were you? I was like, well, I was a bum. And he was like, right. And who are you now? Well, like, I'm who I am now. And he said, He said, and then I just felt God was saying to me, look, I bought your life. I paid for it. Your story now isn't your story. It's mine. I purchased that story. And if I want you to use that story for me, then just do it. So that kind of released me to share my testimony. But I think as well with like people's lives, this this thing of like going through life when you suffer like that as a kid is horrific. It's not nice. It's horrific. It's horrible. It's horrible being in jail. It's horrible being beaten up. It's horrible being um, lonely and frightened as a little child. It's not nice. It's horrific. And no one should ever suffer that way. They just shouldn't. Like they shouldn't suffer like that. And it's terrible that we do. And so I think I think the reality is, is like when someone gets up and gives a testimony who says, I remember this one, Sam once, Sam Archer, he said, he got up and gave his testimony at this church, the same big church where I got out, and he said, yeah, I'm Sam, I've never been on drugs, I've never been in trouble, I've never done this, sorry it's boring, I love Jesus, got baptised. So what you see there is already testimony. Baptisms have then become about this testimony, Mm. celebrity testimony, the worst testimony, the best. He was a young kid in the church, a good kid, and when he come out, I said the same thing to him. I stopped him and I said, mate, I said, your testimony is powerful. The fact you've got a mum and dad who love you and care for you, who've never left you, who've worked to provide for you. The fact that you love your mum and dad, mm-hmm. you're a good kid. That's the best testimony you could ever have. And I think that's part of the danger with testimony. It undervalues real good testimony. Because, yeah, yeah. because to be a loving dad and not abandon your kid is much harder. Mm. than abandoning your kid so so that should be valued above some idiot who leaves his kids behind Mm. you know being loyal to your wife is more difficult and godly than leaving your wife to go and sleep with some other girl that should be valued above other things and this is the problem some other testimonies Mm. we start valuing the wrong thing and um you know and you're right you do get this status as this thing i mean you remember years back we we were knocking about these Christians and we got, I got this job. It was like head of security for like this Christian youth convention. Remember? And then even the youth, I was like, Oh yeah, I'll go and sign up to the youth. They had these kids off the estate coming, giving them a bit of trouble. They put me on the door. (laughs) But then like my wife said, what the heck are they doing? You've literally got criminal convictions for violence. If something happens and you kick off and react, you're literally going to jail. So they're not even thinking about you and, and in that concept. It's this image. And I think I think that's part of the problem. So do you know what, brother? I'm with you. I think I think the testimony every single one of us should share is every single one of us outside of Jesus were a certain way. Mm. And then we encounter Jesus and we change. And since that's happened, this is how we've changed. And 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 do you know what? It's like the offside rule, isn't it? You're offside an inch or 20 foot, you're offside. Mm-hmm. Every single person Roman says has fallen short of God's glory. And so, you know, I think, yeah, uh, uh, you know, I I do I did motivational speaking in schools and people often said, oh, you talk, your life, your story, it's good for all the kids who are going through stuff. And I said, no, nah, that's wrong. I said, you know what? It's also good for the kids who go home and their mum and dad are fantastic. Mm. I said, because you know what they can do? They can see what a really bad mum and dad looks like and they can go home and they can say, thanks, ma'am, for never giving up on me. Thanks, dad, for loving me. So it works both ways. Our testimony can be used for a negative, but I think they can also encourage good parents and their children and and cause them children to realise just how good their parents are, how loving, how kind. Do you know what I mean? So I think it can be beneficial as well. Mm.
0: And again, though you, you mentioned there about how the frustration of uh, being asked to go and travel to churches and share your testimony, but never to preach, and uh, and I think there's a serious serious problem with that. Uh, in the end, I refused to, and I, I'd only go somewhere if I, if I if I was allowed to preach, because again, the story of Jesus is far greater than mine, and uh, yeah. I was bored of it. It wasn't helpful for me to revisit my past life and you can glorify it or you remember stuff that you actually missed and like you can go home after sharing something and it planted in your mind and you can kind of uh, fantasize about it or whatever. But I found some real, real struggles trying to move on from sharing my testimony. And it wasn't just lack of qualifications or academic ability. There was quite a lot of obstacles in the way of me progressing in Christian leadership that are just inherent in, in the church, in the culture in people's mindset and uh, I think the lack of appreciation for spiritual qualifications and more for the academic or professional. So what kind of obstacles have you found in your ministry journey that probably wouldn't have affected you if you'd have come from a more middle-class academic background? Oh,
1: mate, everything. (laughs) Everything. I think... um, Oh, yeah. I think the fact I was expelled from school. I think um, I was refused entry to a Bible college because I'd been expelled. Um, They said they didn't have the confidence I could put up with the work. Um, I think I smoked. I was refused entry to the same Bible college for that Um, and different things. So I was refused. I couldn't take on the role of like a youth pastor, even though. I was kind of really good at it. I got knocked back for that, um, because of a uh, because of my past, and then yeah, my criminal record and stuff. And they didn't want to take the risk of whatever you know. I mean, you know better than me with kind of boards and trustees and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I just I just think. Do you know what? I just I just think often it was like wherever you went, you you were kind of. You'd be allowed to speak at the most needy places, where there was like they were crying out for someone to speak, and they were glad of anybody, like like Southbound Mission or, you know, places like that. It were just humble people. But again, you know, I was like you. I, it was it was the reality that kind of platforms which you shouldn't see platforms, but that's what you saw because that's what you you saw when you got saved. It was like they were shut off to you apart from certain situations like giving your testimony or something similar. And so you'd often go with people. You might get a little bit here, but it was like, yeah, it was like you weren't going to get access. to so anyway, I'm just, I'm just remembering when we moved from the big church, we went to a little Pentecostal church. And uh, I remember I'd gone from this place of like, oh, I've got to give my testimony Anyway, to then never getting asked for about 12 months. And I think over that 12 months, it started to do my head in. Because then I had my rejection issues coming out. And I'm like, why aren't they asking him to give out a to me? Why aren't, they, why, are they, why aren't they using me for their guest services and all that? This guy's pants. What are they doing? I can preach better than that. I could do this. And it was like, but yeah, never, ever given the chance to preach, really, even there. Um, and, and, and I really struggled with that because I knew. Do you know what I knew? I knew I was passionate i was always really passionate for god like i really believed it do you know what i'm saying i really believed that jesus wanted to change someone's life right now like like right now and i've never lost that passion i've never i've never lost that because that's the jesus i encountered in prison was like that jesus was he was there not there one minute and then the next minute like that's you know jesus said who do you say i am i say you know, he's the guy that wants to change your life in an instant. Mm. Like today's the day of salvation. That's the Jesus I know. So I was full of zeal and full of passion. And sometimes I really struggled. I really struggled to sit under some messages in some situations where I just thought you're completely and utterly missing it. Here. It's like such an opportunity to, and it was like people had been preaching for so long. They were bored with it mm. or they were just regurgitating some old message. and. And 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 I and I and I just felt I wasn't given a shot and it wasn't you weren't offered a shot. I'm not even sure if it was a question, do you want a shot? Do you know what I mean? It was like yeah, I felt really stagnated then in that moment. It was um yeah, just just like there was no way of I, I often saw things like this. It's probably not right, but it probably is right as well. Like this conveyor belt. And it was like some people would get on the conveyor belt and get up to the next landing. and Sometimes I was just on this constantly rotating conveyor belt, never getting anywhere, you know? And it was like, yeah. But I think probably as well, again, with a lack of discipleship, I often saw that maybe I wasn't good enough until I'd reached that point as well. Yeah. So there was always this conflict within me that I'm not, you know, I'm not as other men are, you know what I mean? Like like that. So
0: yeah don't know if that answers it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and again i, I find it ironic because eventually you, you you did get a platform you became an elder of a large uh commuter church people were traveling uh, out into uh, a big retail park to go to church you, you were a leader there you were traveling to eastern and mainland europe uh, to do missionary work uh, going to america and uh, you finally get this platform and uh, you've got five kids. And then all of a sudden you, you step down from that to become missionaries. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, with no funding, you're currently looking for funding now. You jump back into the trenches. So, yeah, yeah. what happened then? Because like you say, you mentioned a couple of times that... These obstacles in our way that other people put in the way for our preaching and ministry, but also we put a lot of obstacles in the way of ourselves: our pride, our insecurity, yeah, and what uh, wanting to quit and stuff. So you mentioned the zeal, uh, you mentioned the desire to uh, to get on the platform. You are finally on the platform. What what led you to to step down and go back to grassroots and become unknown again? And, and uh, yeah, yeah go out and preach the gospel to, to people without anybody witnessing that?
1: Do you know, it was a process. It was like, it was like, it was just like when I got into my, the gang back home. I dreamed of being in the gang. I dreamed of the infamy and the power and all of that stuff. I dreamed of the women and the money and all the things it had bring me. Like I've, I've achieved something. And when I found there, it was, it wasn't as, it was just empty still. And I think I had the same kind of dream in my heart from when I got out of jail, that, that, um, that, that I'd find fulfillment in that moment, I think. And that I've, I've, I've arrived and I'm, I'm one of God's crew. You know what I mean? It was like, I'd see things like these guys are on the periphery. These guys are half-hearted. They're not that bothered. They're kind of just going to work, doing the stuff. They don't care really about lost people. They just, you know what I mean? It was like, it was like, These people are a bit more full on. But these workers for Jesus, these are going for it. They're praying. They're reading the Bible. They've got like, they're like, they've got holy families and holy wives. And I think I saw it as this level to achieve. And when I got there, you know, I probably got there by default. He probably asked Graham first to join them. And Graham probably knocked them back. And, you know, he probably realized he wanted someone like me on the team, to be fair, knowing him now. Um, he probably realized I needed someone to connect with people, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, he wanted a young couple, energetic couple. And I think we fitted that bill. And do you know what? The The guy inside me that loved attention, loved it. It was amazing. I enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed seeing people's lives change. And you know all these broken people getting restored, and all of that stuff, and broken people we were coming across and constantly refixing were already Christians, they were so broken and so damaged and so hurt and and some of them sometimes just so weak and um i just I remember being at a place where I was like i was I was trying to do the best I could, I was trying to Every message I was trying to fill with reality and passion and truth and, and 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 I just I honestly think brother, if I'm honest, this is the reality. I think God stirred the nest up. When I was in jail before I was ever saved, I had this dream. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. I was literally smoking heroin and cannabis the night before this dream, right? But I had this dream, and I've never forgot it. In this dream, I was basically in this in this house, in my old house. I was in a circle of people. And in that moment, I knew people were praying and they were singing songs to God. And and the Jamaican guy turned around and said something to me. And as he said something to me, this is in my dream, obviously. I knew across the road, there was another house with a circle of people in it doing exactly the same thing. And then all of a sudden, I became aware that they were all down the street, these houses, in these houses, these circles, groups of people praying and singing songs to God. Now I think what happened is God began to. I think God spoke that over my life. I think in jail when I got saved, everything I knew was small groups. My, 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 when you know the little groups we had were smaller gatherings. And I think when I come out, I saw you know I was out witnessing. I got to car showrooms, leading people. You know I won't say leading people to cry, bringing Christ to people in their environment, in their places. Um, and then I think it changed. And all of a sudden, over the years, it became about me trying to get people to the church, get people to the church, and then, and then it changed from me getting people to the church to being the guy at the church. Everyone's bringing people to see me. You know, listen, I'm not floating my own boat. He's an amazing speaker. He's a brilliant speaker. He, do you know what I'm saying? It's all that stuff. And I became the guy then with with the juice and the power. And do you know what I'm saying? It was like, and so everyone's bringing that to me. And I think in the end, it was just emptiness. And then I remember we saw about 160 people make a response to follow Jesus in terms of an evangelical meeting. I mean that type of response. Great story, emotional story. You know, you know what I'm saying? These stories that you could use that make people feel really emotional and motive, and then say, "Your Jesus, come down right now at the front." It was it's easy, really. It's just manipulating consumerism and stuff. But you don't know that at the time. I, I believed fully in what we were doing. But I think what I started realizing was all these people weren't coming back. They were just making decisions and disappearing. And I remember saying one day in one of the meetings, look, we should, be, we should be baptizing people. Like if they're genuinely, genuinely serious about making a decision to follow Jesus. When I'm reading the Bible, it says these people got baptized. We should be baptizing people. And that was shut down like instantly. No, we don't do that. And so I started reading my Bible is probably the truth. And as I'm reading it, seeing things that didn't match up, I think God also started putting a call on my heart for the people of the world. Um, you know, I remembered saying at one time, look, this is great. People are getting up to the front test to find how God's paid their MOT or God's done this and God's done this. But like, I'm out, I'm out walking the streets on a daytime and I'm seeing people in these council estates like in Grove Hill and stuff. And I'm saying, but they don't know this God. You know, where, where does this crippled woman in a house, in a council house in Broville? how does she come to this big flashy church and, and heard about God? Like, And I started realizing then, you know, we need to take God to these people because they're not coming to this church. And then I remember one day I come out of the church and this guy was walking his dog and he had this, this bag of dog muck in his hand. And our church had all glass front. You could see in it and all that, all the lights, all the studio, all of that stuff. And um, I remember watching him thinking he's going to walk to the windows now. He's going to stop. He's going to look and see what's going on inside. And he's going to be like, whatever with it, I'll be able to talk to him. He put the dog muck in the bin, just walked off, didn't even look in the windows. And, and that's what that's one of the moments where I remember thinking, this is never going to work. Like, people are dying outside. I, I think a week before, a man had frozen to death on the streets in Birmingham. He'd literally frozen to death. And so I think that, amongst other things, God started speaking to me again about, what about everybody else? What about all these people out there that don't know me? You know, when I was in jail, I remember sitting, thinking about my mother and my father. And I remember saying this sentence that any life with Jesus in it is a different life. My mum with Jesus is a different mum. My dad with Jesus is a different dad. And so this is what's on my heart is, trying to get Jesus to as many people as possible because in doing so i can save kids like me suffering what i suffered i can stop some guys battering his wife and battering his wife not cuz i can but because god in him will stop him doing that and 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 this is the thing i think god just put that cry back on my heart is these the people of of who aren't part of the church and there's nothing wrong with the church there's nothing wrong with what it does it's just that god's called us out to be the church to the people. And 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 I think that's what it was. And, you know, there was a lot of stuff happening, brother, at the time. There was a lot of stuff, you know, and I don't want to go into personal other things, you know what I'm saying? But I heard this guy from China who's part of the Chinese church speaking, and he he said, you know, and again, this is an evangelical context, it's not other church context, but evangelical context. And he'd said, you know, the church is making converts, not disciples. And I remember leaving that meeting one day thinking all the stuff I'd seen, all the things I'd seen in this church. When I turned around and looked over my shoulder, there was no disciples there. And I just felt convicted that, you know what, if I die, and I say to God, look at all the stuff we did, God, I really felt convicted that God might say, but I didn't ask you to do all that. Like, and then it just got me asking, what do you want me to do? And that's what, that started that off. And then God, you know, go out into the world and so that's what we did we stepped down off the leadership you know that wasn't celebrated we were rejected we were shunned um is the best way to say it and uh but there's the cost isn't there there's a cost to obeying jesus there's a cost to reaching the lost and this is the thing about embracing the cost embracing the suffering because because it's like if we as people who love Jesus and love the Lord aren't willing to go and pay the cross for these people, black, white, rich, poor, I don't care what they are outside of Christ, they're all the same. Then, then I don't know who else is going to be willing to pay the price for that. Mm. And I just think if I don't, if I don't, you know, there's a bit where Paul says, don't woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Mm. You know, he's talking about being supported, isn't he? Funnily enough. And he says, but then he says, you know, but what to me if I don't do it? I think you'd be the same to me. I, I, I just, I just think God's prepared me for this life, and I think He's made me as stubborn and as hard-headed as other people for that reason. So, um, I think yeah, to God be the glory for it. You know.
0: Awesome. Well, brother, thanks for joining me on the uh, podcast. Verse. I'm going to put a link up to uh, your website. Uh, the, the the mission that you're running is called Liberty Mission. That's in Middlesbrough. You can be funded on stewardship as well. So I'll put a link to your stewardship account and also to uh, your website. But yeah, I'm sure you'd appreciate people's prayers and support if they can.
1: Yeah, right. yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. Thanks for your time, brother, anyway. And uh, join me on the In Context podcast.